Coming to you direct from our super secret studio. Hello, this is Washington for Beautiful People on Deep State Radio. I'm your host, Emily Brandwin, at CIA Spy Girl on Twitter, and we're broadcasting from the left coast. And today, I'm beyond thrilled to be joined by musician and actor, and you've seen him on everything because basically his IMDb page is like a CVS receipt. You've seen him on Prison Break, Scandal, Grace Anatomy, Private Practice, I Feel Bad, Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce, and Imposters, and it's Paul Edelstein. Hey, Paul. Hello, Emily. How was that intro? I work really hard on those. It was really great. And you pronounced my name right in everything. I did. I didn't even need to ask for help. Good. I just knew it. I'm, I'm super impressed. Okay, I'm totally lying. I totally had it wrong, and I had to ask Paul. And Paul asked me if I knew how to pronounce it. I totally pronounced it wrong and screwed the pooch. I had your back. You didn't have to fess up like that, but okay. I, I know, but it's my Jewish guilt. It comes out. I couldn't total, have lived with myself. Total transparency. Yeah, I can't. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have been able to sleep tonight. I would have like then done some kind of Twitter <laughs> apology and like gone on oh, no. and on to some mea culpas. Oh, it would have been oh, horrible. No. Um. So you're from Chicago, Paul. I'm from the Midwest. I'm from St. Louis. I feel oh. like we bond. Do yes, you... I know. I know St. Louis people because I went to summer camp in Wisconsin, and it was mostly kids from Chicago, Cleveland, and St. Louis. I. I know what camp you went to because everybody went there. And if you said, what's the name of the camp? I, I know it's on the tip of my tongue. North Star. North, oh, no. There's another one that all the kids went to. Do you remember? The Bagamon. Yes, that's it. Yes. Do you know the names uh, of any of the kids? I yeah. probably know them. Oh, I'm sure. I don't know if they want to be dragged into our, you know, okay. our horrors. But we should certainly play that game uh, after, I, maybe. Yeah, because I definitely, it's the kind of thing in the Midwest when people say, oh, you're from St. Louis or you're from here. And I'm like, yeah, who's who's your friend? And they'll say, they're like, oh, you won't know. Yeah. I'm like, Especially no. in St. Louis, it seems like. It's weird. Because it's, it's small enough. Where did you grow up? Do you, uh, uh, Clayton and uh, oh, Clayton God. near we Ledoux. Definitely know the, we definitely know the same people. Seriously? And then um, one of, yeah. Oh, and I'm then so one excited. of my good very closest friends from my theater company in Chicago was from Clayton, but he went to, his name was Greg Spoilator, uh, Spoonie, and Milo, and and all those guys, but mostly it was the North Star guys. Yeah, I know a lot of St. Louis people, apparently. Oh, that's crazy. Now I'm curious. I've did you ever learn that? This is not exciting for your listeners. No, oh, it's totally exciting for me, though. Really, it, this is just for me. Okay. Um, Good. I'm Good. like, all of a sudden, I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, that's, I bet you I know them all. Did you? It's fine. I went to Chicago a few years back and I went to a Northwestern football game and mm-hmm. I wasn't quite prepared for the cold weather. So I spent the entire game in the girls' restroom because it's the only place with heat and just sat in there. For, yeah, no, okay. literally. I sat cross-legged and just played on my phone for three hours. Everyone's like, is Emily okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm just finding heat. Were you? Yeah. 
Did you ever get yeah. used to it? No. Well, I was. I wouldn't say I got used to it. I would say that I was impervious to it when I was younger. I would. In high school, I wore you know Chuck tees and an overcoat and a t-shirt to school, um, and walked. And my hair would be frozen by the time I got there. But um, luckily, we lived only a couple blocks away. Um, <laughs> and then I went to college in Maine, and then I came to uh, Los Angeles once in my late twenties. And somebody took me on a hike into Topanga Canyon, and I realized it was February, and I like started tearing up on the top of this mountain. Like, I can't believe you people live like this all year round. Um, and then I, I did the reverse, you know, old Jewish person thing, where I started coming out here uh, in the winters for pilot season because I was very young. <laughs> um, and I, but it was in the luckily pilot season was in the winter, and so I got to kind of escape. February in particular in Chicago was what I hated. Um, so, no, I never really loved that part of it, but it is an amazing, great American city. It's it's a pretty cool city. I always tell people, Mike, for, I mean, just for the theater and the comedy alone, did you, were you totally immersed in that growing up in Chicago? Because I feel like it's, it's a city that it's part of the, its DNA. I was. My parents were big theater goers and kind of uh, museum goers, etc. So I was lucky enough to be exposed to that stuff very young. And it was, uh, you know, I I was didn't know what it meant nationally, internationally at that point. But I knew, you know, seeing True West at whatever I was, 12 or 14, was pretty uh, impactful. It's huge. And to see it in Chicago... Yeah with those productions and did True West yeah, premiere there? I don't think that was the premiere, but it was kind of the ultimate production and it was the one that ended up going to New York Okay. with Sinise and Malkovich and making a huge splash and kind of not only making a huge name for Steppenwolf, but I think kind of reviving or really cementing the Sam Shepard legacy too. That was kind of the, there was a, the, Synergy? What would the word be? You know, um, combo platter? (laughs) Uh, Of them uh, finding each other in the forefront of this gritty psychological realism, Chicago storefront type theater. Did you, were you, did you also do like go see musicals as well? Because I know that you're also a musician. Was that part of your sort of your history growing up or was it were you just more focused on like- as a kid yeah as a kid I remember us going to you know the big musicals would tour through town um, in sixth grade we did a um, class trip to New York City wow. on a train and we saw I still have all the playbills somewhere um, six or seven shows in five days and that was you know a chorus line they're playing our song uh, Death Trap, which wasn't a musical, but these kind of huge, huge, uh, great yes. set pieces. Yeah. And um, that was also really formative. That's like a dream to me. Whenever I go to New York, I try to pack in as literally as many shows as I can, but I can't imagine. Yeah, me too. Do you, I was going to say, do you get out to New York a lot or no? Um, I, I do. I go a few times a year. My writing partner's there and... Um, going there next week to work, which I'm excited about. It's been a while since I worked there. Um, Me too. And so that's, I'm excited. It's always fun to shoot there. Um, 
so I do. I try to go. I mean, it's, I have so many friends and there's so many things I just want to see. What do you want to see? What's on? Because I'm trying to figure out what I want to see and I kind of haven't narrowed down. Do you know what you want to see? I, I want to see the ferryman. I want to see. Um, it's supposed to be great. Uh, it's supposed to be amazing. I want to see. Oh, it's ink. Which is just opening. Um, I have a friend in that. Um, and uh, I don't want to see True West. And that's. Uh, that's. <laughs> that's blanking on anything else. I know that. Uh, they're doing Frankie and Johnny soon, but yeah. I don't think that's open yet. And I know see, that they're doing. Burn this. Burn this is the other one I want to see. Yeah, I want to see. Who's doing Burn this? I'm confusing the cast. Burn who's doing this. Burn this? Is Carrie, isn't it? It's Carrie Russell and uh, Adam Driver. Oh, right. Yeah, I really want to see that. I and, saw Malkovich and Burn This, and that was amazing. Oh, that would He's be, gonna be great in that. He's going to be great in that. I, I forgot the other one is, uh, is it Michael Shannon? Michael Shannon and Audrey McDonald. Audrey yeah. McDonald. I'm a little bit of a theater nerd, I have to admit. If Good. anybody listens to this, they'll, they'll know. I'm trying to. I'm thinking I'm probably only going to get to see a couple, so I might see, like, Hades Town, which I don't know a lot about, but looks kind of interesting, and I think I'll uh-huh. probably see Tootsie to yeah, film. I, is it, I, that's, like, that's one of my top five favorite movies, so I have mixed feelings, but I heard it's supposed to be really good. It's supposed to be great, and it is one of my favorite movies as well, so I get a little nervous. It's like Groundhog Day, but I enjoyed the musical, and I got a little nervous, but I feel Who like... Who wrote the Tootsie music? David Yazbek. Oh, okay. It'll be great. Did you see Band's Visit? Didn't get to see Band's Visit. It's so good. It's um, a lot of Chicago roots there, though. Um, and uh, I heard it was so good. I, I'm sorry I missed it. I think it's closing. Is it closing? Oh, that, that would be... I just saw on David Cromer's uh, Facebook page, I think that it's it's closing, yeah. Oh, that makes me sad. It's a, it's one of those musicals that's so different from, I was curious how it was going to be received. I mean, I was thrilled it won the Tony, but just because it's such a different type of musical. And I think it's, it's probably jarring for people who go going in thinking they're going to see like Hamilton or something huge and, you know, jazz handy. And it's, it's such a quiet right. piece, you know, there's uh-huh. no jazz hands in this, but it's really, I was weeping, but I usually weep at all musicals. So that's not really a way to judge. <laughs> I hear an overture and I just start crying and everyone's like, are you okay? You're, I'm you're, fine. An easy, you're an easy get is what you're saying? I am literally such an easy get. I saw Patti LuPone in concert at 54 below and literally the wait staff asked me to leave. They're like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm fine. I'm totally fine. Like you're really not. And people are staring. I'm like, no, I'm fine. Just, I'll, be <laughs> I'll compose myself. Can I meet her? They're like, no, you cannot meet her. I'm like, I think she wants to meet me. I can guarantee you. She's like, now you need to leave. Now, at that point, I was like, I, I think I went too far. Too much? Was that too much? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Growing up, who were your influences? I, for, I, you know, watching you work, I know that you do drama and you do comedy, but I feel like you there's like a, spark, a special sort of twinkle when you do comedy. Was that something growing up that you always liked to do? Did you ever do improv? It's Chicago. Uh, I, so like, I, always I, um, I joined a theater I did join a Commedia dell'arte company when I was 20. Wow. Uh, which was a combination of the classic Commedia and then uh, the Jacques Lecoq thing from Paris in the 60s. So it was very improv, improv based. 
but it wasn't strict. You know, it wasn't like I wasn't doing heralds or anything like that. Um, I didn't do Second City or Improv Olympic, but I was in this experimental theater company that did a lot of improv stuff growing up. Um, I was just like, a, you know, a vacuum cleaner with all of it. I love <laughs> the movies, uh, you know, the great 70s movies. And I loved the Woody Allen comedies. And we watched a lot of Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton in my house. And um, so I loved, I loved vaudeville. I loved clowning. But I also loved Taxi Driver. So it kind of all ended up in there somehow. Yeah, it does Comedian Taxi Driver don't quite don't quite match. They actually kind of do really? in a weird way, but I won't I won't get too pretentious too quick with you because you know I well, want you to hang up. I was gonna say you can get pretentious later. I might ask you to to school me just a little bit and give me a little shade. I uh, now my mind so, will be reeling this entire conversation. Like, how is that? I did one in school. I think we did servant. We uh, we did servant of two masters. That's uh-huh. cool. Yeah, I was just thinking like I mean that's more vaudeville, but right, it definitely yes. has comedic aspects, right? Wait a minute, is wow, that? I would lo- I've never, I've never seen it live. I would love to see it live. You did not miss anything with our college production. I'm gonna just I disagree. Be- Wasn't James Corden in your college production? He was not in my college production, unfortunately. It was it was um, a cast of fantastic actors you'll never know in my college right. production. Um, Where did you go to college? I went to Washington University in St. Louis. If you knew anybody there, I'd also know them. Uh, but did you growing up, because I, I found you obviously on Twitter because we're both very similar, sort of like-minded in some of our political beliefs. Mm-hmm. Was your family political growing up? Was that something that you all talked about at the dinner table or was yeah. it just? Um, we were kind of like, you know, my parents were kind of like Kennedy, Kennedy Democrats. Um, and, um, and it was always around my grandfather, who was kind of the patriarch of the family, you know, the the immigrant who kind of, you know, brought all the cousins over after the war. Um, he was very involved in civil rights causes and in Israel bond type stuff. Um, um, and then my brother at a very young age, uh, had interest in politics and he's a political consultant. So he started, but he started on that path, you know, in seventh grade, he was already kind of, you could tell he was <laughs> going to be a campaign manager. He was one of those guys. And I love so it. it was always around. And, and I came from a family where it was important to be able to hold a, hold your ground with an opinion. You know, you, you had to be able to hopefully talk something through. Does your brother, um, is he in D.C.? I was just curious. Uh, he's in Chicago. He runs a firm in Chicago. Um, but they do, I don't know, they had something over 100 races in this last cycle between Jesus. congressional, senatorial, gubernatorial. So it's a, you know, it's a full media firm. He co-founded it with somebody from Emily's List. And they've oh, been going strong yeah. for got almost twenty years, I think. Damn, it's it the media never, side of it has exploded. You know, it's funny. Never, never more is it more important than now. I think to have people who who are just entrenched and ingrained and and are working their asses off to get to give platforms to people and to candidates and give them voice. And it's so hard because everything's so cluttered. 
and everybody is so loud that I would think your brother's job is so important, but also so difficult. Now it when- is. I mean, I, you know, he can obviously speak to it better. Um, he's actually a great, I'm sure he'd be a great interview, but he, you know, he laments what's happened. And, uh, but at the same time, I think he laments mostly the tone of what's, what's happened. Yeah. You know, he's watched it, the complete partisanship, just, <laughs> which now seems impossibly attractable. Um, but at the same time, you know, I remember after 16, they had to stop taking clients for 18, you know, very quickly. I mean, it, so it, it galvanized so many people and so many people that didn't think they could or wanted to be involved before all of a sudden, or maybe not all of a sudden, but wanted to be involved and were passionate about it. And people, especially women, um, wanting to run and w- even for lower office, local office, I think that was pretty exciting. Um, so and I think is is a positive um, thing that gives me optimism. <laughs> you know, in a, in a time when it's hard to find optimism, those are the moments where I hear and I go, okay, we've got, there, there's some hope there. And I get very excited about it. And I kind of cling to that. And when I see, and look, our, the field right now, and I say our field, the democratic field, it's, it's, uh, it's crowded, but it's also exciting to me. I love the fact that this is our country, and if you want to run, you can run. And I love seeing so much diversity and seeing so many women, and it's to yeah. me, that's exciting. Yeah, I mean, you can run if you can raise $300 million. Well, um, that part too, but yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, Lori Lightfoot is the mayor of Chicago. That's pretty cool. That's pretty amazing. I'm, it's, uh, it's oh, sorry. What were you going to say? I almost interrupted you. No. Go ahead. No, no, no. I, I want to hear what you had to say. Well, you know, it's also interesting that she's getting blowback for some of the, you know, some of the her interactions with the police. Um, and just like with the Democratic field, it's going to take patience on our part yeah. to watch everybody rip everyone else apart um, in the Democratic Party because they're not perfect because they don't they don't agree with somebody on every single issue across the board and therefore they're a monster um you know we obviously saw that in 16 with between bernie and hillary and i think it it doesn't i'm not 100 percent sure we've learned our lesson on that one we haven't i think we're going to eat our young again like i think we're just going to It's the one thing I think Republicans do it really well. They, they get a message. Everybody is gets the email like this is our message and everyone stays on that message. And we tend to literally just eat each other apart like it's the Donner Party. We're like, oh, he did something wrong. And then everybody, it's like a feeding frenzy. And everyone, I just, we just need to take a beat. A, I read a long screed from uh, an actor friend of mine who will remain nameless on Facebook, which is very political. And it was basically saying that if you are even turning your head towards Mayor Pete, you're a misogynist. What? It's basically saying if if Christine Gillibrand and uh, Klobuchar, is that how you say it? Klobuchar? Um, Yes, Klobuchar. Are in this race 
and you're already looking at Mayor Pete, you have a, you need to really take stock of yourself. Uh, because they've held that, and I was just like, oh man, here we go. That's bullshit. Here but... we go. And it's, you know, it's identity politics, and it's finger pointing, and it's already just kind of a, a it was already a, an hysteric response. I know I shouldn't use that term because no. people think it's a trigger word. So it was a, let's just say, crazy response. It was to... a cuckoo crazy pants oh. response. How about that? Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, it bought, and I was, and I, it wasn't that specifically. It was just, I just thought, oh, right. I forgot about this part. I'm not looking forward to it. And it's funny because I criticized Amy Klobuchar and people got very upset with me. And I said, I don't think it's okay for anybody to not be kind to their staff. I think you can challenge your staff. I think you can be tough and be, you know, a hard ass boss. But yeah, I'm just not a fan if you throw things at them. Like, I think that's, that comb story is incredible, though. The comb story is amazing. I, I love- mean, that's like uh, Devil Wears Prada level stuff right there. I mean, or like uh, swimming with sharks. It's it's so fun. I mean, it's horrifying. Don't get me wrong. It's horrifying. But from a story perspective, it was jaw-dropping. And kind of delightful. Right? I'm trying to think. I know I tweeted something about it because I was, oh, yeah, I think I tweeted my brush and said, I think I'm going to go tenderize some meat. I yeah, was, yeah. There was I'm, some crazy twist in it, too. Like, she made her watch her eat it like she made her sit there and watch I, there was some really kind of weirdly sadistic I don't, I don't know maybe sadistic is too strong a word or maybe it's not um although you know would, would this i don't want to play this game either but would that have hurt would it hurt i don't know first of all is it going to hurt her and second of all would it hurt a man no it would have hurt a man at all it, it's, you don't think no I, it, it would have been more of a like it's a real locker room mentality over there. He's quirky. Like at the most, it would be he's quirky. He's quirky. He's, he's quirky. He's, he's kooky. You know that's just that's just what he, that's just who he is. He likes or to like it's it's homes. Yeah, it's it's, a, it's like a sports mentality over there. It's a real uh, real macho. Yeah. Literally, they would have been fine. And if a woman, yeah, no, it's because it's a woman. I mean, and hopefully we're getting past the whole likability part because. Then people started attacking oh, her for not being likable. And I was like, oh, for fuck's sakes. Like, can we get over that part? Because really, you don't hear that for guys either. And it drives me absolutely bonkers. But I feel like people are starting um, to shift only, if, even if they don't believe it, they're not saying it because they know they're going to get pushed back. I still think everyone Yeah. Knows. But it's also, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think women get, I think people... Assign, say likability for things that they actually don't mean are, are likability. They're just things they're not used to seeing in politics. Like, when like they say, what? her voice is thin. <laughs> like, well, it's actually at a higher timber. Yeah. It doesn't. <laughs> but like, I don't think, I mean, I don't, I don't, maybe I shouldn't say this on the air, but like, I, while I agree with a lot of his politics and I, you know, enjoy what he says, I find Bernie Sanders really unlikable. Oh. Completely, and not only because he looks like half of my family, that it gives me like shock. Well, like, that's just self. That's just called self hatred, Emily. That's I, different. He literally looks like every single uncle in my family. It's literally, it's like but, every. Well, I know, but that's just because he's Jewish. It's it also is. Also, nobody talks about oddly. Which is shocking to me because I I don't think our country is progressive enough to see, and I I'm sure people will be like, ah, oh, you're crazy, but I don't. I'm 
Actually, they won't say it because if you look at what's happening right now, I don't think we'll see a Jewish candidate win. I, I hope. I mean, you don't see- you think that it wouldn't have been? It would have been a. It would have been. Let's say he had won the nomination in sixteen. It would have been. An, it would have brought been brought up in the general for oh. sure. Oh, absolutely! It would have been. It Christian values. Oh, I mean, our so values, American value. It would have. There would have been a million dog whistles or maybe not given you know maybe not dog whistles anymore well or they it, it wasn't they just say it or you know pompeo would be like the rapture what about the rapture yeah what about the rapture well you know they the, the fundamentalists get down with the jews because they have to control jerusalem for the rapture to happen or for the second coming or something right i, was, I don't know when i was reading the rapture Are we like lefty info wars right now we just made I, shit up um we're totally like we're totally like the alt alex jones uh, actually, I want to like scrub myself, give myself a silkwood scrub for saying that. Uh, I thought the rapture, like at the end, all the Jews burn in a fiery like inferno of hell and we're dust and we're nothing. We're like vapor at the end. It didn't go I, well. Like, the ending wasn't good for us. Jesus to come back, that the Jews are like part of the prophecy is the Jews are in control of Jerusalem and that that is part of the, is that the problem? what has to be in place, which has to do, which goes to why uh, there's a kind of fundamentalist Christian, very hard pro-Israel combo. Which is interesting. Maybe erase, maybe look this up. And if it's not true, don't put it in the podcast. No, I'm so, now I'm so curious. Cause I'm like, I, it was curious because Pompeo was really, he was very pro, he's very pro-rapture, so he's hes on a pro-rapture ticket. But then wow. he was saying that he thinks that Trump could be sent from God to save the Jews. So that... Okay, so there is also the thing of, what was the, was, what was the, the king's name who wasn't a believer, but he still served the, I think it was Cyrus? Isn't there a kind of thing in fundamental circles that Trump may be Cyrus? Oh God! Which is although he's not a more that not while he's not a moral man, he's doing their bidding and therefore that's okay or something like that. That seems like semantics. That's like the king of semantics. Like we know he's a bad dude, but still we're it's okay. He's our bad dude. He's he's our bad dude. So it's he's our guy. It's okay. He's quirky. He's another. Let's, let's just go with that. I think you got to fact check some of this, and if it's wrong, I I <laughs> I feel like I'm gonna sound like an idiot. I don't honestly. I will if this gives you any solace. Anybody who listens to the show is not gonna be upset. We have a, a an audience that I feel as though is is fairly like minded to uh, where we are. Yeah, and but the- I still wanna. I don't wanna do fake news. I wanna be. You know, I wanna okay, say I- something about Cyrus and. The Bible, I want it to be accurate. I don't want to be, I don't want to cast aspersions. I know there's good fundamentalist people out there they, who there are. hate Donald Trump. Who hate Donald Trump. You know, I, so I think there are. Who know, who know he's not a good Christian. <laughs> they know that he's he's beyond quirky. He can't be redeemed. Couldn't you Do, just write a book called Donald Trump Beyond Quirky? Beyond Quirky. Oh my, <laughs> the Donald Trump story. Beyond Quirky. Oh, that would be amazing. That would be a great TV movie too. That's called a soft spin. 
<laughs> my theory, my hidden theory that is literally my lifetime movie version of this that I think would be amazing. Like I truly want this to happen is so you see the, all this, the whole story comes comes around. You see the whole Donald Trump thing. And at the end, he and his family get marched across the White House lawn in handcuffs, like frog marched across. And then you see them, the camera cuts in and from behind you just see an office chair and legs with like high heels on like the like on a big mahogany, like big desk. And then the camera pans in and you see it's that it's Tiffany. And she masterminded everything. <laughs> Where is Tiffany? That's exactly it. She's in law school now. I think she's at Georgetown Law School. Um, but I feel like it would make so much sense. She was sort of, you know, she was the ugly duckling. No one paid attention to her. And it would be her ultimate revenge. She's like, you all didn't want to pay attention. You don't want to call me. You don't want to recognize me. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. I'm going to take you down. She's She is not, um, she's the half-sister. Who's her mother? Uh, Marla Maples. Oh, Marla Maples, not Ivana. No, Ivana is Ivanka Don Jr. and... Sad Eric. Eric. <laughs> sad Eric. Um, oh, sad, slightly anti-Semitic Eric. And then... Slightly. Okay, he's totally anti-Semitic. I was just trying to be, like, a little bit cool. But, yeah, no, he's he's pretty horrible. I think all three are pretty horrible. I used to play this game with guests, and I'll... I'll I'm just going to play it with you now. If you had to say something nice about one of the Trump kids, what would you say and who would it be? You have to pick one compliment. It's sort of like fuck, Mary kill, but it's not. It's just saying a nice thing about one of them. So it's even harder. Yeah. One thing. I can say it about all of them. I'll bet they all go tinkle in the potty. That's what you're going with? That's your good thing? That's all I can come up with. Do you really think Eric? Uh, okay, I'll give you that. I said. I'm saying I it's a reach. It's, it's a, a reach, but I'm giving them benefit of the doubt. Seriously, that's such a reach. You need a GPS to find it. But I hate having to attack these people. It's so, I not that anybody listens to me, but like it's like, but hey, they're in it, so that's not, exactly. They're not Amy. They're not Amy Carter or 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 Chelsea Clinton. I mean, they're actively working to undermine our democracy. So. I <laughs> feel like criminal you, enterprise. They really are, and I feel like they've put themselves in that position. And if you put yourselves in that position, then you are out there and you are able to be to yeah. be criticized. Yeah. But I hate cr having to criticize them because they're horrible looking and idiots. Um, but no, I guess that's, that's okay. Nice. I, I said I'm an entertainer. I guess I can do that. You can totally do. It. I said Ivanka has nice hair at times. She does have nice hair at times. At times it's not real. No. Oh, God, no. No, no, no. I, I, I am assuming that there's not a lot. I don't think there's anything, and I'm not even talking physically. I don't think there's anything real about any of them. I think that they are totally artifice. And what drives me nuts about Ivanka is when she does her interviews and she talks in that little whisper. And there's it drives no way that's her voice. It's Of course it's not her fucking voice. And it drives me fucking nuts. I don't know why she does that. I'm trying... As a woman, I'm trying to think psychologically what that does because I don't think it gives you any authority or any position of power to do that. It's no, but it's a confusion, right? Because it's coy or whatever that word would be. It's, it's um, coquettish. Yes. I suppose on its <laughs> It's it's like uh, Holmes Elizabeth Holmes doing the whole like man voice with all of her interviews. It's like the yes. reverse. She's like, right. they're like the yin and the yang of the blondies. 
It's a little right. weird. Oh, I'd love to see. The, oh, that would be an interesting movie too. If they were like roommates, it would be a really fun sitcom. Throwing it out there. If you want to pitch it, go for it. I, uh, okay. It's like Perfect Strangers, but like the redo. Right. Just like it. Were you, did 2016 make you more politically loud or had you always been sort of steeped in politics because of your family or was 2016 sort of the match that lit it for you? I was, I, um, I'm still a little leery of the screaming into the Twitter void. Um, smart. It's as smart. A, as, a, as an actor and artist, but um, there were things that I would talk about or try to whip people up about, mostly um, gun stuff. Yeah. Um, which I've didn't couldn't I still can't even believe is a left right issue it just boggles the mind still which yeah. shows you why I'm not in politics but um <laughs> yes I think 16 became a watershed thing for a lot of people where it was so egregious that it was so it no longer felt almost to a certain degree subjective you know it felt like a crime um, it felt like criminal things were happening. I'm not even talking about Russian collusion. I'm talking about this person is up to, you know, he's obviously a, uh, an abuser. He uh, is a liar. He clearly has criminal activity in his past. These things that are, shouldn't be, seemingly shouldn't be open for debate. That's And that lit a match for a lot of people of, what has happened to the bar? How did the bar get this low? The bar, um, like, you can't limbo into the bar. You just have to step over it. I mean, it's so low. And, and then I think it wasn't even, I mean, as horrifying as the election, I found the election and the aftermath of that, it was once the, you know, the firing of Sally Yates and that's her name, right? Sally Yates? Yeah, but see, yeah Sally Yates. Was she the acting attorney the, general? Is that her yeah, name? She was the, yeah, she was the acting attorney general who basically whistled. Yeah. And she was telling everybody, there's shit going down. You guys have to pay attention. So, of course, she got Yeah, shit. and then when he fired her, I remember I remember hearing, I remember being in the car and hearing that and just thinking, oh, this is actually worse than yeah. we thought it was going to be. Um, so, I, don't, I mean, that's a very long answer to your question, but I guess the short answer is yes. No, I... I feel like it did that for a lot of you. I think for so many of us, we were always politically engaged, but that was the moment where we thought, oh, oh, oh shit, like this is, this is really bad. And then everything just spiraled downward. And I, cause at first I thought, you know what, give him the benefit. I kept trying to, even though I didn't want to, and probably technically I didn't, but even his inauguration speech, I just, that was I, horrifying. It, 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 it like that was the moment I went off, oh. and I think it was the next day or two days later he went to the CIA, and he gave that. Uh, yeah. He did that speech, and for me personally, it was horrific. And he chose to do it in front of the CIA memorial wall, and and I I harp about this because if you go to the agency, it's the one place, no matter what anyone thinks about the CIA or the FBI, or whatever. And there's a lot of there's a lot of criticism about the CIA, which is you know. 
well-earned at times, but it's, you know, really smart, hardworking, dedicated, patriotic Americans. And that wall is literally every star for every woman, every man who has given their life for this country. And for him to give a speech in front of that place, it was, it was also a disgusting speech, but it was such a slap in the face. And it was, to me, that was, yeah. I was like, all right, we're done. But what's interesting and, well, I mean, two things occurred to me. One is, um, just to your previous point, or maybe to mine, that I was always like, who gives a shit? Why am I weighing in on this? Who cares? Like, no one's waiting. And, you know, I'm an actor. And I had a bunch of friends from college, um, and and who some of whom are very politically active and actually work at, you know, one works at a think tank and... and DC and and they said you know thank you for saying this thing and I was like nobody really cares and they're like every little bit counts it does and I thought okay then get and then I was like to myself I was like okay then get over yourself it's like, like oh I don't I shouldn't weigh in on this it's actually maybe more pretentious than weighing in it's like just get over yourself and if that little drop in the bucket helps then just raise your voice, you know? And I, and, and I took that to heart. They um, would say things like, yeah, of course it does. You know, if it, if it, if it just adds to a chorus of voices, that's one thing. And then the other thing is, I think in terms of galvanizing people, and this is, I don't know if this is good or bad, but it's certainly true. I think one of the things that people have found so horrifying is not just policy and action, but his classlessness and a certain comportment that is just disgusting. And while that seems maybe superficial, uh, it's not. It sets it's tone, not. right? I mean, absolutely. We we but we had the same complaint. We had the same complaint about W. I mean, we had the same yeah. complaint about a certain kind of like, oh, he's such a bumbler and he's such a fool and. He's not articulate and he doesn't read books and, and that trickles down. And I think we see that a thousandfold with Trump and obviously, you know, he's the crimes and that kind of, not just the rhetoric, because that is actually active, but even for instance, his cluelessness or disregard and disrespect of something like the CAA Memorial wall is just, it's horrifying to people as it should be. It's uh, it's interesting, and, that, and that's not political yeah. affiliation. No, if I was a Republican, I would be just horrified by that behavior. And it's interesting because people will come out and say, you know, you don't respect the president. I said, I respect the office. I don't respect the man in the office, and that's the difference. And I think that's why people are upset is because I think we all respect the office. We understand sort of the sanctity of that position and what it represents. And he surrounds himself with such like-minded people. He had. He had a spousal abuser on his staff. I mean, he had Rob Porter there, who was there for I don't know how long before they said, "Oh, by the way, um, he he should probably he, go." Yeah, maybe maybe you shouldn't have him on staff. But everybody from Pruitt, I mean, it it's literally the revolving door of misfits and and fools and criminals that are coming in and out. And that's who he surrounds himself with. I mean, we should all be scared that this whistleblower came forward and said, there's 25 people who shouldn't have security clearances. That should frighten every single American. But so many of us, I wrote about it, and I got so much pushback about it when I said Jared shouldn't have a clearance. 
and he shouldn't. And it, the fact that he does and so many do, it doesn't surprise me because I'm sure that, hey, even if Jared didn't, I'm sure that Trump is like, here, just read this. Tell me what you think. Or just read this. You don't have to tell me what you think because I don't really give a shit and I'm not going to pay attention anyway. But I don't think right. he has any regard for any of this of intelligence or what it means to protect sources and methods or what that actually entails that he's putting people's no. lives in jeopardy. No, and I think that it's all for personal gain, that stuff. I mean, I think it's one, he wants people, he wants sycophants around him, but also, you know, the Kushners and the Trumps are doing dirty deals, right? And that information is going to be helpful to them because it's valuable to other people. Absolutely. It, we're going to find out once he leaves how much money he's made off the presidency, and it's going to be millions and millions and millions of dollars that he's going to I don't even know if we're, gonna e if we're even going to know. You're probably right. Did you think he's he was saving? He's saving the family. <laughs> did you think the Mueller? Did you have hope for the Mueller report, or were you thinking it it was going to end like this? I didn't think it was going to end like this. I don't think it's. First of all, I don't think it's over. I don't either. Um, I feel like yeah, I was definitely a oh, it's going to be a you know photo of him and Putin shaking hands and <laughs> writing Facebook posts. I did have that, you know, fantasy for a while. Um, and I, you know, my expectations were slowly tempered by some smart people that I know. Um, one who is a Republican operative for a long time, who's now a writer out here and super smart and, you know, new Mueller and new kind of, what a guy like that was going to do. Um, but I was also kind of foolish enough to believe that it was going to be some kind of smoking gun. Um, I think once people started talking about it being a roadmap, that made more sense to me. Yeah. It's in terms of the function that it should serve, right? Was that it's really Congress's job. And now yeah. that there is a democratic Congress, uh, that, says, look here, look here, and look here. And this is where um, you, yeah, exactly. I mean, the bar letter seems, you know. The bar letter was great. like. It was, great. it was great for a cycle, um, but I feel like, you know, the subpoena came out today and all that stuff. I mean, I guess the question is, there is going to be, you tell me, but there is going to be a kind of Mueller exhaustion where, People are going to say, oh, my God, stop talking about it. They're, I, I think people are exhausted. It. I think people are already getting exhausted. I think uh, it's interesting because it, be, it'll be subpoenaed. I thought Barr's letter was like a bad cliff note, essentially. I was like, basically, we're getting really shitty cliff notes on this. And I thought his, I thought it was actually embarrassing what he did and his, his sort of obstruction for this whole thing. Um, I think people are already getting exhausted, which I think is a shame. And I think it's, it's maligning the process. Because people are already yes. like, I'm over it. I'm over it. We shouldn't be over it. If right. we shouldn't they want a simple answer. Yeah. They, they want a simple answer. And I, I think, you know, they want Watergate, which really wasn't a simple answer. It was just getting too complicated. And there was still enough shame that shame actually worked. <laughs> we left. Right? Well, those were I mean, simpler times. Those were good times, yeah, right? It's true. Um, the, you know, there was just enough egg on his face that he had to go, right? And it was going to get worse. Uh, Trump seems to be 
impervious to that. It, it literally, he can have me impervious to it. He could have hundreds of eggs thrown at him. He's like, I'm good. I, I'm good. I literally, I said, I was thinking, like, we're nostalgic for Watergate. I'm like, those, those are some good it's times. kind of amazing, right? I mean, his, his ability to withstand it is, it's, he, he would have been, any other president would have been sunk a hundred times over. I mean, for a guy who got out of the war for bone spurs, he's really showing a lot of fortitude now. It's, it's a little bit well, impressive. That- it's the same kind of fortitude. It is. It's a bullshit. It's a bullshit fortitude, right? He's uh, not bullshit slippery. fortitude. He's like a good superhero villain. Like this is his. This well, is his like superpower. Teflon Don type stuff, right? Jeez. Were you nervous at all when you when you've talked a little bit? I and mean, did anybody in Hollywood or say you know, Paul, you know, keep it on the down low, or you know, just you know, don't share what you're thinking. Or did you feel really comfortable? I think there's a lot louder, a lot bigger, a lot louder voices than mine. Um, I get a little, I I don't know. I, I, no, no one has ever said that. Um, You know, there were, yeah. (laughs) I was, do you see you don't get trolls or any of that kind of, kind of bullshit? I get a little of it. I get a little pushback on certain things, but um, I don't, I really try not to engage in it. I do feel a little bit like I live in an echo chamber because I think probably most people that engage with or follow me on social media agree. Yeah. Uh, my part of, you know, and if they don't, I'm usually pretty um, non-confrontational. I kind of believe in trying to be kind and make friends and people that are just disgusting and nasty. I just, ignore i can't i can't get into it that's very upsetting but also i find it who's this helping that's a very very mature way of handling it and it may be a a way i should look into handling it a little bit more well or maybe not i I think some people engage in it wonderfully and i think that's important too you know it's funny when i have a good conversation with somebody that i disagree with and which doesn't happen often but occasionally it happens i actually really enjoy it and i usually end the conversation with Look at us being adults. We just had a conversation on Twitter. We're such adults. This doesn't happen. I'm always so shocked, and it leaves me a little shaken for a few days. I'm like, oh, that can happen. You can have really decent right. dialogue. Oh, okay. Yeah, because it, uh, it's so easy to be so nasty from a distance. Oh, so nasty. You know, it's part of the problem, obviously, that, you know, we do it to their side too. You know, it's, it's, it's easy to reduce people to, you know, racist idiots because they hold a view different than yours. Um, and I try to check myself on that front too. Um, I do too. I, I, I'm not always successful that and not making the attacks on, I, that's the part where I don't, where I get a, a little, where I get a little uh, cringy when people do attacks on appearance. I feel like you've got enough well, with, Trump. or you got enough with Ivanka. Like you got enough with them. Appearance and also the culture war thing is. I think so much of this is more culture war than anything else. Yes. It's more the the Republicans have just done such a great job of the last 30 years of these people hate you and look down on you and we have your best interests at heart, which is not the case. Of course not. Um, I don't think liberals have done the best job of 
you know, I think the liberal outrage, and I'm certainly guilty of it, uh, can really take the form of kind of condescension. Absolutely. Um, and that plays right into that narrative. I think it's really dangerous when the, on the liberal side, we paint, paint that broad stroke of, oh, all the Trump voters or all the voters that voted for Trump, because that isn't the case. They're not. And to do that, I think, is is so divisive and it does absolutely yeah. nothing to the conversation. It it just further separates it. And I think those Correct. those kind of broad strokes are are really what's impeding helping to impede the conversation on both sides. Oh God, I can never say on both sides. Every time I say they get a cringe because I think of Trump, but uh, you know, good people. Good people on both fine sides. People? Those is it fine, fine people or the good people? Is it yeah. fine people or good people? I have to go look it up. You know on both sides. You know those Nazis. There there's some yeah. there's some good people there. There's uh, some good people over there. <laughs> I was just glad my oh, um, yeah I think that's really easy and I think that it um, that's, a, that's a tough one now to lighten it up if this was turned into but, this whole hold on sorry let me just finish maybe oh, we're just being fair and balanced maybe every other you know there are there are no good for Nazis there are no good there's nothing that sorry but like you're a Nazi you're wrong No, I think you all know, like, Nazis are pieces of shit, and I'm I am right. I'm willing to go on record. There's yeah no, I'm willing to paint that with a really broad stroke. Right, and I have trouble sometimes not applying that to people that think you should be able to own, um, you know, an AR-15. But those aren't necessarily the same thing. And I think while I vehemently disagree with the second, there is a discussion to be had there. To, where just, having a discussion with a Nazi is. Well, there's nothing to talk about here. There's really you're you're, you're not gonna you're not gonna change an opinion of a Nazi. Well, so you think I'm subhuman, so maybe let's not have a discussion. Yeah, it's probably probably not a good place to start. The AR-15 discussion is really interesting. I just had on two guys who host a pod, podcast called Zero Blog Thirty, and they're both veterans. And we really we started talking about the gun issue because I wanted to know, you know, what they you know, what they thought, and we really got into it. And it was interesting, we talked about AR-15s, and they, very similar to us, they said there's no reason any civilian should ever have a weapon of war. There, It was period, done, that was it. And I said, if you hunt with that, isn't, like, a deer going to be little deer nuggets? They said, you don't hunt with Nobody it. Nobody hunts nothing. with it. Nobody hunts with it. There's literally nothing you can do with it. It is a weapon. I mean, and they were, they were dog, I mean, they were very, they're vehement about it, and they, you know, they're, they believe but, and they but, support but, the Second but, Amendment, but they said this is not a Second Amendment issue. This is right, right. Well, well, it is to to, to, to assault weapon what? people to, to assault weapon people. And I know an AR-15 doesn't technically assault weapon uh, or assault rifle. Is it is a Second Amendment issue because it's it's yes, it is used for killing people. It's to, for defending yourself. Yeah, it's funny. Joe Walsh, do you know? He, he was yeah, on I know sure. Yeah, I was gonna say, of course. And he said something about no one should tell me I shouldn't have it. No one should tell me I shouldn't protect my family. If I want to have an AR, I'll have one. I'm like, are you defending your family from the Taliban, Joe? Like, it, there's no reason. It's, but it was really interesting to hear their perspective. And of course, I got into it a little bit with somebody. And then I thought, I'm just gonna step away because I'm, I'm not gonna win. I'm not gonna sway them, and they're not gonna sway me. And also, they probably are bots. But that's neither here nor there. So it was just well, you know, the gun control issues. I love the nuclear nuclear weapon aspect. It's like, well, you do believe in some gun control because 
should I be able to have a nuclear weapon in my house? Like, nobody agrees with that. Right? You do believe in some gun control. Is um, that okay? We can draw the line at nuclear weapons. There is a line. There is a line out there somewhere. Um, we found it. I had a, uh, a friend who was very liberal and very uh, ex-army, and he said, you know, he, 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 he was being facetious when he said this, but he was talking about, I think, when the Bundy clan was holed up in that compound. Uh-huh. Yes. Is that what the, right? Yeah. He was like, you know, oh, you think the government's coming to take your gun? Really? He said, <laughs> I just want them to send in two Blackhawk helicopters and two SEAL teams for like 20 minutes <laughs> and be like, this is what it looks like when we come for your guns, okay? Yeah. Yeah. We're not doing that, but if we, you know, just once for them to be like, <laughs> oh, you think you're going to bring the force of the greatest greatest fighting machine in the history of the world down on your heads, that it's going to look like you in your barn with a bunch of guns. That's not what it's going to look like. It's going to look yeah. like this. Yeah, this is going to be... it would be over. And <laughs> you'd say, okay, well, yeah. <laughs> your AR-15, sorry. It's not going to do the trick. Yeah, you, you won't know what happened. They would yeah, it's going to be over very quickly. It's going to be over very quickly. Right. In fact, it's not going to go well for you. Half the seals are going to be playing on their phones because it's going to be so easy. They're like, you know, it's gonna I, be boring. yeah, I'm going to go Instagram something while you guys are, are taking care of this mess in the barn and let me know if you need anything. If you this, know, yeah, sorry. You see the mentality of it. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, right. We're agreeing with one another vehemently. We are, which is so great because we're so smart that of course we're great. <sighs> it's so hard yeah. to be smart. If this, okay, I'm going to end this on a very positive note ish ish. If this whole White House, this whole saga was turned into a movie or a TV series, who would you want to play? What Ooh. part would you want? Ooh. I know, it's a good one. Oh. Guess one of the sons. Which one? Would you want to do the but double I one? Really, the double I don't one? think I could pull it off. I don't think I, I, don't think I, I, don't think I could pull it off. Um... I mean, who would I really want to play is Stephen Miller. Oh, God, that'd be amazing. I mean, that's the most fascinating. Oh, his poor parents. I mean, what? He's a Jewish white supremacist. Legitimately. Can you imagine what, I mean, his parents, I wonder if they've disowned him. You know, he went to, there's a whole thing, is it? Santa Monica. Santa Monica High School, right? Yeah, Yeah. and supposedly he was a real dick in Santa Monica High School. Like, he has a history of being a total dick. So this is very consistent with the story. Stephen Miller. There's something Shakespearean going on there, right? Oh, Stephen would be good to play. I was trying yeah. to think who else. That would be a great, great role. That would be good. I think who would we, you want to play? Um, not Ivanka. I was thinking maybe Hope, Hope Hicks. Uh-huh. I think she would be really interesting because I think that there's like more there. I mean, Sarah Sanders would be so deliciously fun as well another tragic figure i think right like i wonder like when she's when this is all over is she even hireable like i i don't i wonder if she's yes. toxic Are you kidding do you think she's i feel like she's so toxic though do you think fox she's would even a hire star. her i think she's a star but she hasn't she's she's the survivor she's the one who's doing it. she's actually making she, that job work i mean Comparatively, 
But she was supposed to leave in January, but supposedly she was having a hard, I mean, this was the rumor mill was that, remember she said she was going to leave in the beginning of the year and she was looking for gigs and she didn't find anything. Yeah, supposedly she hasn't found the next job that was the rumor mill. Really? I'm surprised. I'm surprised by that. That's interesting. I'm surprised by it. I could be making that up in my head, but I thought that's what I think this whole I think this whole thing needs to be fact checked and maybe redone. Oh God. No, I like <laughs> the whole I, I like all my alternative facts, Kelly. Oh Kelly. Like, Stephen Miller's actually not Jewish. Uh, uh, Tiffany's actually somebody else. You know, it's like we're gonna be wrong on all fronts. <laughs> Wouldn't it be amazing? We're wrong in everything, but Tiffany really was the mastermind. That would be the best part of the whole thing. That would that would be that's an amazing amazing twist. That is a chef's kiss to me. That would be that would make everybody feel better. I feel like that would that would save America. Like it would be it would be the hug that we all need. Just throwing it out there. I I, I hear I hear I hear you. It would make the whole thing the it would. You know, it would be the Andy Kaufman ending that we all wanted. <laughs> Literally, it would be it would be perfect and horrifying all at the same time. Well, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, so I just want to say thank you so My so pleasure. much. I so enjoyed this. I had a list of questions that I did not even get to, so that's even more fun for me because I'm I love where we went with this, and I appreciate it. And for everybody who's listening, thank you guys for listening. If you want to keep listening and supporting to all the good work that we're doing here, you can go visit deepstateradionetwork.com. You can support all of our work. You can become a member, which means you get discounts on swag. You get access to all these podcasts like this one super early. And you can follow Paul on Twitter at Edelstein Paul or on Insta at Paul Edelstein. Yes, it's the reverse. It's the flip-flop. And I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you again. Oh, you can follow me at CI Spy Girl on Twitter and on Insta as well. But, Paul, thank you so, so much. I've been such a fan of your work, and so it's just well, a pleasure you. to have you on. And thank you. It was my pleasure talking to you. Yay. Have fun in New York. All right. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Bye. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.